We're going to go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the next teaching in 2 Kings, concluding in chapter 5, which is where we were last week. And, um, and there will be some uh, review of last week. I think it's so important with where it leads us today, which we'll be picking up ultimately in verse 20. Here we go. Lord, we ask for your blessings on our time in the word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, which allows our eyes to be open and to see what you desire for us to know. That it moves through these eyes, Lord. It is processed in that beautiful work of the cognitive mind, the engaging mind. And it is stored in the heart. And it is translated in the body. How we behave, decisions that we make. Thank you for hearing us, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, the first part of the theme was soap, nope. And the reason that that came about as our title was because there would be someone the scriptures would present, and we remember him as of last week, and he was a leper infected by a disease that in those days was presumed to be incurable, devastating with regard to its effect, and ultimately the consequence of it, meaning that those who got leprosy were banished. And if they weren't banished from a social arena, certainly if you were a Jew from a spiritual opportunity, and mostly you were presumed to be walking as a dead person. Leprosy, again, we understand it better today as a bacterium. It is one that seems to have its effect in the deeper dermal tissue of the skin. We talked about the difference between that as where it begins and its association with sin. Sin being a corruption of the body. Leprosy, too, a corruption of the body expressed through the skin, expressed in the neurology of the body, meaning that insensitivity becomes the norm as opposed to sensitivity. Very much like we see the effects today with sin, we become insensitive to it. It becomes a normative for us we then lose a perspective in terms of what God says about it. And so we then begin ourselves, even within the church, compromise on what God says is that which is his word, his truth, it's to be applied. So that's one of the things that we were looking at, that in this plight of this man who found honor in his land, he was, in fact, an honorable man, the scriptures declare, and one in which even Elisha had a heart for him where the king had 
no heart to be associated with him. We looked at that as being kind of a Jesus mindset. Someone who was not a part of us, but someone who in a desperate time of need required a change, something that would save him. And therefore, Elisha served as a picture of Jesus, whose desire is to save to the uttermost, to the outermost. Whomever it is that you can picture in your mind as unworthy of your attention, the Lord would say, but that's the person that I want tended. And that's always the challenge, because at times we just don't get God for how much he loves those who have both despised him and perhaps in our lives even hurt us with severity, with consequence. The issue is, as we look at this sin, the remedy is a washing or even more specifically a cleansing. And so in this last area that we found ourselves with Naaman, all he had to do was obey the word of the Lord that came through Elisha. That word was, go dip yourself in the Jordan and do so to the prescription that I ask you to do it. And there was offense because one, he wasn't personally meeting with Naaman. And the other was that that man who was in desperate need for cleansing and wholesomeness restored felt that it was a dirty request. The rivers from where he came from were certainly better than what Elisha was proposing with the Jordan, a darker river, one that had obviously the washouts of all of the soils and from the mountain, Hermon, and so when we look at rivers and lakes, we often judge them by their pristine beauty. The azure blues of the sky reflected in the clarity of a lake or a river, it's inviting. Those we will choose to drink from. The glacier runoffs, of course I would drink from that. Look how pure it is. But the Jordan, I don't even want to put my toe in it. And so that was his problem. He was given this prescription. He went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan. That was in verse 14. According to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And that's a victory statement in that 14th verse of chapter 5. Why? Because what he wanted came to pass. What is it that you want that only God can permit to come to pass? Oh, well, I want this. I want that. Remember, though, in contrast, this man's life was at stake. His career was at stake. It wasn't simply the things of life that he was in pursuit of. He wanted salvation from imminent death. And the only way and means by which that could be achieved was through whom he had recognized as a man of miraculous power and devotion to God. 
How did he recognize that? We remembered that in the text, he was referred to Elisha as a man of God, able to heal him because of God through this young little maiden girl who had been kidnapped from Israel, brought into his home, and she spoke truth in the light of his darkness. We remembered that that's highly motivational, saying God can use a child anywhere at any time. And if so, he can use you anywhere at any time to speak counsel to those who, because of the consequence of uncleanness, are ultimately dying. And their demise is to be separated from God for eternity. Our culture says contrary. Many options. Take the many options that are available to you. It all leads to one thing. Party in the afterlife. But that's not true. It's a parting in the afterlife. You will be separated from God for eternity. And God says, I don't want that for you. I want you with me for eternity. Your life is sacred. I appointed you for a sacred, wholesome life full of accomplishment, even in the difficulty of living, the industry of moving forward in the casualty of the things that have ensnared us, taken from us, God wants us to live victoriously, championing his cause. So we looked at that. It was important to see that Elisha is holding his place. He's facing off with a variety of different challenges, but he's holding his place, taking footsteps of accomplishment. And sometimes maybe you could be going through a time in which that next step is so hard. Because maybe those whom you are with the consequence of where they're at spiritually is kind of washing up on your pristine shoreline. Maybe the clear waters of spiritual life have become clouded with ultimately the dirt from sin that's moving through that place right now where you just wish that weren't the cause. You know, the church is going through that right now. I'm not saying necessarily this one, but although I do know, that sin is present in any place where humanity is as well operating. So the church is a vulnerable area. And we need to be those who know, and as Dale rightfully put in the elements of communion as we were praying for that, that God can cleanse any person at any time for any reason that they would have to present themselves in need. I'm dying. I've made a deadly decision. I'm dying. I'm marred. I'm scarred. I'm stenching. See, leprosy brought into vision the decay of what ultimately the Lord would say is a spiritual condition, but it was on display. And we sometimes see that on our street corners and in the dark places even of our community. And some of the deeds that are done in darkness, such as what's happened three times to me on that side and on this side. And what I know and have to believe is that that's an expression 
of an unsaved person just doing what unsaved people will do without conviction. They rob and steal, and perhaps some would even dare to kill to have what it is they don't have. So the Lord knows that that's a picture as well of the essential call of the Spirit to bring people out of darkness and to change their heart. But the heart only changes when the mind comes into agreement that what is asked by God for me as a man separated from God must have no compromise. I don't have a relationship with God because of my goodness. I have a relationship with God because of his goodness, and I've accepted the terms of that, his sacrifice for me. I know I have a nice pinstriped white shirt, but you know what? I've had to launder this thing on full blast three times because of my fickle humanity, my fork not finding my mouth, the food not going in my belly but on my shirt. I've been in a variety of, per se, food fights with myself. And they've been the foods that stain the most. And I said, I'm not giving up on the fabric that I choose to wear. And that's what we also need to have a determination, that you're not going to give up on the fabric that you choose to wear, which is his righteousness. We will come into situations that have stains that set themselves upon us. And sometimes the Lord says, it will remain for a while. You've seen me come in at times with that. I'm not showing you I'm a careless man. I'm showing you I am a man that misses the mark and misses my mouth. Perhaps eating things that I should not even be attempting to eat. But the picture with that is that the laundering that takes place is the laundering that chapter 5 Verse 4 is emphasizing, cleanse yourself. James would say it this way in his account, cleanse yourself, you sinners. He was one that did not mince words nor even try to sound delicate. I tend to come across a bit differently. I'm not known as being fiery, but I do have a fire within me that is willing to proclaim truth as it comes into vision right now. So I wanted to touch on those things. Leviticus chapter 14 in particular, but 13 and 14 are references to the order of the priesthood being able to inspect the conditions of one that says, I've got it. Somebody said, I got it. What do you got? I got a condition. What's your condition? I don't know, but I suspect it's leprosy. People are treating me differently. There are things that are happening to me that are corrupting. And the word within the scriptures are saying that I've got to do something about it or I'm going to die in it. So they would present themselves to the priest. The priest would then make examination of them. The priests were under the order of what? God to be able to communicate to him on behalf of the people and God being able to communicate through them his heart for the people, 
his heart for the people, not his judgment upon the people, his heart for the people. And so it impressed, again, an individual to either live with it and die or seek the priest and allow your examination to begin and be saved. The fact of the matter is, is that when leprosy became a, not only in the social strata of whatever nation it was found in, the easiest way for them to deal with it was just get rid of them. Put them over there in a colony of the lepers. Let them live together and die together. But God's heart would say, let them come to me, one or all. Let them be examined. The examination was purposed for determination. Yep, you've got exactly what you suspected. Come back to me in another couple of days. Set yourself apart. And so it moved through this inspection or examination for the purpose of making a determination and inevitably in the faithfulness of that charge of those people with leprosy, do you know what would happen? What would happen is that God would do a work in them that the priests would ultimately be able to say, yeah, it's just a blemish. It's just a blemish. What may have been in fact leprous becomes just a blemish, which then would become simply perhaps a faded scar of what they had, which was terminal and now leads them into productivity and inclusivity. That's a great word. Unfortunately, politically, it has something that is just <clears throat> not right. There are words that are being stolen by culture that's just not right. God wants to include the sinner who has been cleansed and to keep him. And the idea there as purpose in this was remediation. Examination, determination, and remediation. Done. You did your work by allowing yourself to be transparent before me, and I've done my work, God would say, by cleansing you of your sin. That's the idea there. Don't know if I took you there or not, but I'm going to Psalm 49. And I may have, but I'm going to reiterate in case some of you weren't here. Psalm 49, verses 7 through 8. None of them, it says, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. God makes no allowance for anyone by your prayers and supplications, by your good favor, whatever it may be, to be able to ransom your brother, your sister, who is living in sin on your own. Can you intercede? Yes. What does it mean? Praying for them. But can you take their place as a ransom? No. There was only one who did. Jesus, the Son of God. He was the ransom. He was the costly sacrifice. And that's how all of us come into a relationship with God, is by Him and Him alone, on His terms. Nothing that we can come up with. 
You're not going to be pulling anyone into heaven based on your appeal to God. It has to be that person's appeal to the Lord in the same conditions that you were saved. And that's what's so awesome about this. None of them can be can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of their soul is costly. It cost God his son. So we anchor ourselves there. It's an important place to be. Closing on this thought too, you can go back, and I think I suggested this last week, Luke chapter 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers. You can pick that up in verses 11 and 19. And here's the emphasis of it. One, only one out of the 10 came back to say thanks. One, only one came back out of the 10 to say thanks. That represents a 10th. Do you realize that in the populace of a church, it is less than half and probably closer to a 10th that says, thanks God for saving me, one who before was a leper. No common ground with those who now I find to be uncommon, to be not only my cloistering saintly family, but those who at one time I offended highly before you. I was against you in my mind, in my heart, in my deeds. And so it's very, very, very exciting to realize that even though it's always seemingly not the majority, but the minority that God says to that person, to you, thanks for thanking me. I appreciate being acknowledged by you being here. If you didn't know it, when you come here, you represent the one-tenth. You were touched by God in a condition of leprosy. And here you come to be able to say, thank you, Lord. There are so many things that I wanted to do, but today I'm here doing the one thing that I ought to do. Giving you attention. Thanking you, Lord, for removing me from detention. Detained by the world or punished by my sin. You brought me out, and here I am again, fresh, new, alive. So I want you to think about that. Jesus was impressed with that tenth person. Wherever that tenth person was in the lineup, whether he was the first one to get touched or the last one to get touched or in between, he came back to say, I'm giving you thanks. That's why Sundays are important to me to give God thanks because somewhere in that lineup, I represent a 10th. Don't know what happened to the other nine, but I know that for me, it's important in my 10th that I give my thanks and appreciation. You may say, how in the world do we get through this text? Now you've eaten most of it up in a review. We'll see. Let's trust the Lord. Let's go ahead and visit Verse 20 of this fifth chapter, it's really not all that long, okay? Remember what you've just reviewed. If it's new to you, you can pick up the teaching from last week. It's archived somewhere. We've got guys and gals that are gifted and they know how to do it. I don't, but you can go back and review it. So what about the dope part of it? So, nope. 
in being a dope. It means that even those closest to the most persuasive godly influence that they could ever be with could do stupid things because it says that in the opportunity that they had to be mature, they chose to be childish. They chose to be covetousness. They chose to exercise in a carnality as opposed to a spirituality. And this is Gehazi. It's very interesting, as you know, names mean much. They do. God knows everything about the name ultimately that you will have. I will not probably be recognized as Richard in heaven. He has something more extraordinarily reserved for me. But I probably also will never be recognized in heaven as scurvy dog. That thing, that man, that sorrowful, pitiful being. But Gehazi in text means two things. His name means either denier or it means valley of vision. Don't you find yourself at times being the one that is in the valley of vision? You see God's presence. You know how he's encouraging you, what he's done to validate you. But then all of a sudden, you have this opportunity in which, in some manner, you've found yourself a denier of him. He's not going to do it. I've waited this amount of time. I've given that amount of resources. He's not going to do it. Do you realize that we're waiting on what God's going to do? Fifth year, no contract, silence. You know what we decided to do? Tear down that wall, Mr. Gorbachev. You'd only get that if you're about my age. <laughs> Reagan said it concerning the Eastern Wall. Tear it down. Let my people go. And so we're visionaries here. And we believe in what God has allowed us to do to this point, this day. I was kind of like, huh. And very often I'll step back so I don't get in the way of the vision. And the vision happens and I'm going, wow. Why didn't I see that? Because in that way, I wasn't the visionary. But if you, after church, go back there and take a quick tour, you'll see that a wall came down. Some of you go, that was the Sunday school wall. Those were for the babies. We saved one room for the babies. And we'll still have room for the babies. We're just now getting young people married, so cool down. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the church is growing. Babies will come, but right now we're tending those who in a season of their life as singles and as youth coming up, we've opened up a great portal. And for the women's ministry, I see it now. If you go back there, you'll go, wow, we've like enlarged the place. And we have, because that's what we do as visionaries. Even when you operate in a silent time, a questionable moment, What's God going to do with us? Right now, he allowed us to come in through those doors. That's what he's doing with us. So Gehazi right now, at his worst, means denial. At his best, valley of the vision. He's seen as both a spiritual person 
in his name, and he's also seen as a carnal person in his name. As well, we can be that way. What's the point in bringing this now? Because to carry you through what we shared last week is that Naaman is so thrilled with the healing. He's acknowledging that he is for God. The God of Israel is my God, but my king does not serve the Jewish king's God. But he's so thrilled that what he does, he said, I brought in the event that there was salutations to render, wealth to give. I brought this and I want to give it to you, Elisha. And Elisha says, not necessary. What I've received freely, freely I give to you. Isn't it interesting that at times that's exactly what you will do? What you've received freely, freely you will give to somebody. Or you'll learn what happens when God freely gives to somebody what is yours. And you'll say, huh, I never thought that. That God through me can choose to give to somebody, whether it's by my permission or not. We go, thievery. God goes, no, it's charity. I just did it a different way. I've marked that person. It was charity, and I will pursue him, and I will change them. Thievery by law, yes, but charity by divine appointment, because, Rich, you can take it. You're big enough to understand loss in a way that will honor me along their way when I will pursue them. And so this is what is happening right now with Gehazi. The offer was refused by Elisha, and he thought, I'll see if I can get some of that myself. And this is where it picks up. The servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman, this Syrian, while not receiving from his hands what he bought. You can hear a little bit of disdain. My master... Elisha has spared this Syrian, this guy that really has no connection with my connection. I follow Elisha. This Naaman follows a godless king, and he himself must be godless. But he's come with stuff. If Elisha won't take it, then certainly I should be enriched by it. That's the idea. Right now, he's denying the power of God in which this man, Naaman, has been saved from his carnality, from his false spirituality. They followed pagan gods, but not any longer. Naaman had made his point very clear that he would be worshiping God, even as his king would pursue worshiping false gods and idolatry. Naaman had changed. He was not going to be the same. We have somebody coming from paganism to now pure godliness in belief of Jehovah. And we have somebody who now has been walking with the most godliest man that he could ever have been paired up with. And he chooses to behave like a pagan. I will run after him and take something from him. And so he's in an act of coveting. And he runs for it. Let it go, Gehazi. doesn't say that I did. 
And so Gehazi pursued Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, it's all well. That's so cool. <laughs> Naaman probably in a prior time would have said, archers, fire. <laughs> got him? Good. Carry on. I don't know if he'd use a British or American accent like that. But notice what's happening. He's a compassionate man now. Why? Because he knows that Elisha was compassionate when the king of Israel was not compassionate. The king of Israel washed his hands, rent his robes, said, get out of here, you stinky little leper, you godless pagan warrior. Get out. What am I to do with you? And that touched Elisha's heart saying, why would you reject someone who's coming for help? Why don't you show the compassion and mercy of God? Well, you didn't, I shall. And this man's heart's changed. He's not the same Naaman. Though he's highly favored in his community, respected as a warrior, he's behaving like a lover of God. The attributes of God are flowing from him. Even what we see in this phrase, is all well, as opposed to stop. By what reason are you pursuing me? Archers, shoot. Or unsheathing his sword. He says, is all well. And he said, all is well, my master has sent me. Gehazi right now is lying. His master didn't send him. His master prohibited this from even being an issue. Again, when there's an issue, very likely it has attached with it sin. Sin needs to be dealt with by cleansing saying indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garment. He's creating a storyline. He's doing an op-ed. He's putting, if you would, the blame on someone else or the reason for him running after the goods is by fictitiously developing a storyline. And so Naaman said, please, take two talents. The generosity of a saved person is beyond description. All of a sudden, everything that you got doesn't matter. It's God's. What do you need? What can I do for you? I gave away thousands of dollars of equipment when the Lord got my heart. I've never missed it, never resented it. Sometimes I look back with sentiment but I've never regretted it. I know exactly at the time what I was doing, when I was doing it, who I was doing it for. Thousands of dollars of stuff. Because my heart had changed about stuff. You take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags and two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants and they carried them on ahead of him. He now basically sends an entourage of his servants to go before Gehazi to take this stuff that he's asked for. And when he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house, and then he let them in go and stood there. So he had an escort, a military escort, servants that took these things that he'd requested that would have had no small value. It would have been a treasury for this guy. Gets back to the citadel, which is where Elisha is found as well. And notice what happens. 
he went in and stood before his master. Elisha said to him in verse 25, where did you go, Gehazi? That's the examination question that God asked Adam. Hey, Adam, where are you? Where have you been? What's going on? You're, you're different than when last we talked in fellowship in the cool of the day. Where have you been? Your countenance has changed. Something's different about you. Again, we talked about the fact that in this, an examination is important. The Lord would say that to any of us. Where have you been? Where have you been? I want to come back. Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, your servant did not go anywhere. Lie. Right? I mean, he's probably sweating profusely. He just got done with this run. He ran. Naaman had a chariot. And now he's probably sweating coming back. He's going, uh-oh. I'm going back to a guy that pretty much knows everything that's going on in anybody's life. And so rather than being transparent, he simply does what many of us ourselves have found ourselves doing. We skirt. We say, not me. No way. Haven't done anything. You know me. Well, Elisha does know him. And then he said to him, 26, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it... Time to receive money and to receive clothing and olive groves and vineyard sheep and oxen male and female servants. Verse 27. Oh yeah, that's all the rest of the stuff. Elisha is keeping his life simple and the challenge to his servant precise. Do what it is that you see me do. And do not do what others have found themselves living for. Does the Lord desire that all of us live impoverished? No. But the idea between living lavishly and rejecting God and living charitably for God is remarkably a chasm. I have so appreciated the men who both with wealth and generosity of labor have made me a millionaire. I'm not, but what I'm saying is what God has allowed for men and families to do at times in my neediest, most desperate, have exalted me as one being as a millionaire, but I'm not. Has God given me things that could indeed put me there? Perhaps, but you too. Most importantly, eternally, but I don't count on that. I don't bank on it. Because something could happen to me at any time that would remove any hope of that. He sought his own endowment, which is different than God being one who gives you the endowment. Do you understand? He sought and claimed his own endowment than one who had been bestowed that endowment. Abraham was a rich man. Jacob was a rich man. Joseph became a rich man. David was a rich man. All of them had a history of impoverishment until the time in which they set their steps forward in faith to honor God, and they honored God with their possessions. How wonderful it is when men and women of God honor the Lord with their possession, with their wealth, 
if you would, taking a position of impoverishment for the purpose of divine charity. It's a wonderful thing. And we have that in this church. We have men that across the board, whatever their bank account may be, they behave as wealthy men and women and what they're willing to do that costs the church nothing and at times absolutely zero bill for me. But what they are doing is giving themselves. I've joked with many perhaps in here that one day I will probably be mowing your lawns. That will be my service to those who serve the wealth, the wealth of the Lord on earth so charitably. I'll be the one pushing. Hey, is that Pastor Rich? It is. He's, he's, doing, he's doing service for those who serve the Lord so generously on earth. Well, wasn't he generous? He was. But those guys were way more generous. And it's just kind of eternal payback for right now. He'll just be on lawn chores for about a thousand years. And then he'll get to have a porch. Isn't that kind of one of those push lawnmower with scissor blades, not even an electric? Yeah. That's perfect for rich. A little bit of sweat. Therefore, verse 27, the consequence, leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow, the severance of ministry because of sin. You're not going to be able to walk with me right now where you're at. But I will tell you this. That was a separation. He's marked with the very thing that he saw Naaman cleansed from, that he denied basically the power of, meaning that within the church we can have people that see the work of God and they deny the power thereof and they do not become mature in their faith to see even greater works that God, Jesus himself, said his disciples would do. I hear with frequency for doing only what to me comes naturally or spiritually. The Lord's answered prayer. I don't know why, per se, it's important for people to say that, but I know that prayer works. I know that healings happen. You, some of you here, are those who have been touched by the Lord in this very place or by someone who has come from this place, dwells here. Mike, I got a report from your text. I never thought I'd see you here, but God bless you. You're a living testimony. Yeah, thank you. He's got a story. I've got a text on his story. He's been down for the count in so many ways. And the last text I received from him, it sounded like he wasn't getting up. Here he is. That's a miracle. However, somebody grabbed his carcass and brought it here, and the Lord resuscitated it, or he was able to give empowerment to get in that car. He's a miracle. That's what I choose to believe. Katie came in here one morning. Don't know if she was the worship leader, but I think that her day was coming, and she was just in pain. We went over there after worship, we prayed for her. She never said a word contrary to the pain she was in. We just saw it on her face. And we anointed her with oil and prayed over her. And she got up with perhaps a little grimace, but with joy. And she proceeded on to her car. We even got her a little wheelchair, I think, that was in the back, just to give her a free ride to get back there. 
She got a free ride just by being in here for morning worship. And we watched and monitored her condition. And she, then I think she came back the next day and did morning worship without any assistance, coming in through the door, up on the stage, moving things around, worshiping the Lord. We've seen the Lord touch her. We've seen the Lord touch Zachary. We're all getting touched. Shouldn't be denying it. Take opportunity. These guys will separate on this issue of sin, but there is news that can be obviously discovered that Gehazi comes to terms with his treachery, repents, because later on it'll be documented before the king of Israel that you can find in chapter 9, Joram will be killed. He's the present king. He'll hear a testimony from Gehazi regarding the ministry of Elisha. Everybody's got something good to say inevitably about the ministry that God is doing through the church. It just may be your time will come when you get through having your time. Either of correction or having your time of sowing your oats. One way or the other, the testimony will come to pass that you'll have a different assessment than at what other occasion may have been your behavioral maladjustment. The Lord adjusts. And so that's really where we're at. Soap, nope, you can't cleanse your brother and you can't cleanse yourself with a bar of soap. The Lord's got to do it. And one of the ways we do it is by being here in the house of God, the place of prayer and of praise. Thank you for being here. It's important whether you believe it or not, I'm telling you that to take a position in the church, the house of God, is fundamentally important to what you will be and how the Lord may save you and how the Lord may bless you. I happen to enjoy every time that I come in here. I don't necessarily enjoy going over my time allotment, but right now it's just where my mouth is being freed up to do. I'm going to close this word off just in prayer, and then I'm going to ask the brothers to come up for the tithes and offerings, Rob is going to lead us in that. It's an overt act of worship. He will lead us in that and the commissioning of it. Lord, we thank you for your word. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen.